Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, good to see all of you this morning. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read verses 3 to 5 here in just a little bit. Well, um, college football has come and gone now. Another season has come and gone, and pretty soon the NFL is going to be winding down as well. The championship games are today, and I guess the Super Bowl's in two weeks. And my team isn't anywhere near uh, the championships. For those of you who don't know me that well, I was born and bred and still consider myself a Green Bay Packer fan. I, I appreciate the sympathy that you're giving me. It was a rough season, that's for sure. And if you have, you know, you listen to any talk radio or, you know, news, sports, sports radio, whatever, um, you know that for years there's been a lot of drama surrounding quarterback Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's talented in many ways. I mean, he's been MVP however many times. But the Packers have not been able to capitalize on his talent for many different reasons. Um, they've not placed themselves in a position to win the big one. Now, this past year, I think it's because Aaron Rodgers' salary was so high they didn't have any room in the salary cap. They couldn't give him any uh, receivers that he was able to, you know, that he wasn't able to produce what he could produce. But now the offseason is approaching. The draft will be in a couple months. And it looks like more than likely they're going to trade Rodgers to another team. So the Packers have a lot of work to do with drafts and trades and the like to put themselves in a position of success. They have to set themselves up to be in a position of success. And what's true for a football team is true for us. We need to be in a right position if we're going to navigate this world rightly, successfully. I mean, not that life will ever be carefree or easy, but you know, there is a way for us to navigate this world in a way that we finish strong. And now, I don't want you to think that all of a sudden I'm becoming this motivational speaker or something. Because this successful life, this finishing strong, has nothing to do with money or fame or reputation or toys or, you know, anything of this world. A successful life is one in which you persevere in the faith until the end, and then when you face the Savior, He tells you, well done my good and faithful servant. That's the success, you know, we strive for. And and here's the thing. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been placed in a position for you to be able to walk this world successfully in that way and and to end strong. So we're, we're studying 1 Peter. And the apostle is writing to these Christians about how they can navigate this life as the pilgrims that they are in this world and and progress toward a spiritually successful end. In the first two verses of 1 Peter, he painted a portrait of who we are as these pilgrims. I mean, he revealed 
that we are these exiled elect or the elect exiles who are extended throughout the world and we, we are these elect exiles because God foreknew us, he formed us, he has forgiven us. And, and we now learn from Peter that because of the position of who we are as pilgrims of God, we're able to stand strong and stand secure in a very chaotic, dark, dead world. Because of the position that we're in, in Christ, we're able to stand firm and we're able to live a life of freedom in worship and truth and faith and service. So I want us to learn more about that position today as I read verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. If we'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. This is what Peter writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we uh, know who we are in Christ, the position that we have in Christ, so that we are able to stand strong and our pilgrimage is very successful. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You read those three verses there, and there's just a whole lot going on. It's like you're being pelted from every direction with all these important theological truths. So trying to pinpoint what the central point he's making might be a little bit difficult, but there is a central point. The center of what Peter is saying here, to which everything else is pointing, is found in verse 3. It says, He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. Now, if you've been around church, or you've been around Christianity, that phrase, phraseology, that sounds familiar to you. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God of God. Well, if Jesus is saying that must be pretty important, but, but what does that mean? I mean, you, you hear that word, you think you're just, people might be talking about a bunch of Christianese, it's a, some theological, technical mumbo-jumbo, but it's, it's a very important truth of life, being born again. Let me tell you first off what being born again does not mean. It, it does not mean it is not the same thing as the rebirth that you hear from New, new Age people, Eastern religions, the occult, and things like that. It's not some sort of mere spiritual awakening to the cosmos. Like all of a sudden you become more aware of the spirit life essence of trees and animals or, or something along those lines. That's not being born again. Being born again is not the same thing as reincarnation because guess what? There is no such thing as reincarnation. So being born again has nothing to do with that kind of stuff. But the biblical concept of being born again steps from, uh, it stems from the fact that e even though we're, we're born and we're physically alive, we are born spiritually dead. When a person personally believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, who died, who rose again, God's Holy Spirit breathes new life into us, breathes new life into our dead soul, and you're born 
spiritually. The first time, you were born physically. This time, you are born spiritually. You are born again. By faith, in Christ, you receive a new nature. You receive a new identity. You receive a new life. And the Bible even describes it as receiving a new heart. You receive a new heart. This is being born again. It's a spiritual change from death to life. It is a change of spiritual position so that you're not the same that you were before. And you don't relate to God the way you did before. And then with this change of heart and with this change of spirit comes a radical change in a person's life. How they act, how they talk, their attitudes, and things like that. So this is the position that we're in. This is the position, is the only position that will help us to finish strong and hear those words from Christ that we want to hear. Being born again, a new life. Having a new life. When you have a new life in Christ, you have an unchanging eternal position that sets you on solid ground before God. And this isn't just for, you know, when we think of eternity, oh, back after I die and things like that. I mean, this is true of us right now in the here and now on this earth. Because you are no longer walking this earth as a dead man. You're not the walking dead. You are now a Christian pilgrim who is progressing on this journey that God has for you. And you are spiritually rich. Now, you know, this position will not lead to earthly riches or earthly status, but it will lead to spiritual blessing. So consider what it means to be a Christian pilgrim. You are a Christian pilgrim. You are an elect exile. You are among the dispersion around the world. God foreknew you. He forgave you. He is forming you into who he wants you to be. And those are true of us because of this new position we have in life, this position of having a new life, a position of spiritual power, a position of spiritual riches, a position of spiritual blessing. That is our position for true success in the eyes of God. There's so many people in this world who think that because of their position, they're powerful, they're important, but in the end, they will have nothing. The President of the United States thinks that he has power and success because of his supposed powerful position. The Pope thinks that he has power and success because of his supposed powerful position. Jeff Bezos and other CEOs think that they have success and power because of their supposed powerful position. But their positions in this earth are nothing in comparison to the position of having a new life in Christ. And we need that in this chaotic world. We need to know where we are so that we're able to stand strong and stand tall. And this position of new life allows us to stand strong and to stand tall in the midst of all the chaos that's in this world because this is what God has given to us in Christ. But what do we know about this position of new life? Well, Peter explains to us some things about this new position, just some attributes of this new position. So first today, let's consider the basis of our new life. What is the basis of our new life? Verse 1 tells us that it is according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. 
The only reason that we have received this new life is because God has extended his mercy to us in Christ. God did not cause us to be born again because we were handsome or pretty or smart or rich or any other positive attitude you think or that makes you think that other people should just fawn all over you. God did not cause you to be born again because you are more privileged than others. And that's the day and age we live in. We live in a day and age of privilege. I breathe, therefore I'm privileged. And people should bow down to me or, you know, something like that. I mean, that's a sticking point to many. We live in a day and age where people think so highly of themselves. They see themselves as the cut above the rest. They think that because the world is blessed with their presence that they are privileged and they ought to be treated as privileged. And when people don't treat them as privileged, they get offended about it. You got the pretty girl thinks that because she's pretty, she should get special attention. The, the celebrity thinks because they're rich and famous that they should have special treatment, you know, a different kind of treatment than us common folk. And there's people that take that kind of concept and turn it into, well, you know what? I'm privileged, so God should bend his will to me. God should give me anything and everything that I want. You know, they don't think they should have to believe the gospel, follow his commands. You know, that's for other folks, but it's not for them. But that doesn't fly. You are not born again. You're not given new life because of your privilege. What's the basis of our position in Christ, in this new life? It is based on God showing us lowly sinners some mercy because everybody is born in sin everybody commits sin god the righteous judge he has to punish sin and that's what he does he's a righteous judge you know you probably you, you hear all these crazy things on the news about how just because someone was privileged or they were famous or they were rich or whatever they get a lighter sentence from a judge than somebody else would they, they, their privilege somehow gives them an advantage there. But that doesn't happen with God. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter how pretty or ugly you are. It doesn't matter how privileged or underprivileged you think you are. God shows no favoritism. Every human being is on an even playing field. Everyone is spiritually dead. Everyone deserves the sentence that God gives them. But here's the wonderful news. Jesus died and rose again, taking our just sentence on himself. And with our sin problem taken away, all who believe in him are caused to be born again. We are given true life. We are given eternal life. That's for those who believe in Christ. But then there's the flip side, which is bad news for other people. Those who do not believe in Jesus, you have not received mercy and you have no standing before God. Even, and it's not even what happens to you after you die, even in the here and now. You have no solid ground on which to stand in the here and now, and so you're being tossed and turned by every whim of this world, every philosophy of this world, like a wave. You're just being tossed all over the place. But then, yes, after you die, you have no position before God 
But God, through His mercy, according to His mercy, can cause you to be born again. God is extending mercy here and now. And if you receive that mercy, you have a position of new life for all of eternity. You are in new life. You have been caused to be born again. But if you do not receive his mercy here and now, that choice is going to follow you into your eternity. He has caused you to be born again according to his mercy. In her book entitled In His Image, author Jen Wilkins, I think, gives a, a, a wonderful illustration of how this mercy works and how to think about this mercy. And so this is what she wrote. She said, my husband Jeff is an excellent driver, hinting toward the fact that she might not be, but, you know, she said, several years ago, I was driving across town to get a speaking engagement during ru Friday rush hour traffic. Having waited three cycles to make a left turn at a busy intersection, I accelerated through a yellow light and continued on my way. A couple of weeks later, a ticket came in the mail with a photo evidence of my depravity. I had run a red light. Justice dictated that it would take $200 to clear my good name. Or so I thought. Let's just say that we didn't have an extra $200 lying around and my embarrassment over the whole thing caused me to stall on paying that ticket. My husband Jeff noticed that the deadline to pay was upon me and gave me a gentle reminder. I was leaving town and he generously agreed to get online and handle the payment. That's when he discovered that it was not, in fact, my good name that was at stake, but it was actually his because the car I was driving was registered to him. So my ticket had been put on his driving record, his perfect, excellent driving record. And what was his response? It's taken care of. Mercy. He paid my ticket without grumbling, and my guilt was assigned to his record. In the eyes of the great state of Texas, the demands of justice had been met, albeit by another. I did not receive what I deserved, but Jeff did in my place. And that's the mercy that God shows us. Our position of new life is based on the mercy on the one who took our sins upon himself, even though he had the perfect record, so to speak took our sins upon ourselves. This gives us our good position. And having this position in new life, we receive many blessings. So secondly today, I want to talk about the blessings that we receive from our new life. The blessings that we, we receive from our new life. Now, in the original language, in the original Greek, three times in these verses, Peter tells us that God caused us to be born again to something. And, and these somethings are these spiritual blessings that we receive because of our position of new life. There, these three blessings are possessions that we, we have them right now, even though we might think, well, that's not until later. That's, and it might not be till the future when we see the full fruits of these things. But these are blessings that we have now and are encouragements for us. They're encouragement to us as we continue on this pilgrimage in this life. You know, whenever we hit a rough patch in our, in our journey, whenever circumstances seem to be overwhelming, these three blessings are reminders of what our position really is, what it really means. And our, our life's circumstances 
or even the lies of the enemies that he can just put into our minds. They're going to tell, try and tell us otherwise, but no, these are ours. These are solid. And these are help encourage us to persevere and to be steadfast. So what are the three blessings that he talks about? Well, first, Peter tells us that we currently have a living hope. We have a living hope because the hope that God offers in Christ is not a bunch of empty promises. It's not a lot of hoopla. It's not a lot of blown up exaggeration. We have a living hope. You know, you see these ads on TV or you might get these pop-up ads on your social media about these products that, that just try and offer you the, the entire world. They boast about a lot of things that these things can do and there's just something in the back of your mind that says, yeah, there's something wrong here. What, what's the catch? I mean, I, I highly doubt that this thing is going to do what it, it does. We become jaded and cynical because, you know, we've been burned in that way. And it's not just by ads. Maybe, maybe it's just people who have made promises and they didn't live up to those promises. They didn't pull through for us. And then when something actually works or someone actually does follow through in their promises, they, they were, were shocked. You know, we become that, that cynical. But then, because of that cynicism in the world, we might turn that cynicism toward God. You know, we, we think that, well, God really isn't going to do for us what he says he's going to do for us here. He, uh, we, we think that, that you know, uh, I don't know if I can really put a lot of stock into his word, into his promises. But that's our problem. That's not his problem. Never once has God gone back on his word. Never once has God gone back on his promise. You know, we might have some preconceived notions, but that's, again, our problem, not his. God never backs out on his word or his promise. And so because of this new life in Christ, we live with a living hope. We are not living with some dead promises. I mean, we all know the, the joke, how do you know when a politician is lying, his lips are moving, or her lips are moving. We, we don't expect anything coming out of a politician's mouth to mean a, a thing. We don't believe it. Those are, those are empty promises. Those are dead promises. But that is not God. Yeah, you know what? The world system, it, it, it boasts that it can do a lot of big things for us, but they're not able to follow through on that. And politicians are not able to follow through on whatever in the world they say. But God will always follow through on his word. How do we know? Well, Peter tells us right here, how do we know? How do we know God can do what he says he's going to do? Because it says in our text there in verse 3, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because we have a living Savior, we have a living hope. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, per his word, he is able to fulfill all of his word. If he can bring Jesus back from the dead, he is able to fulfill all his word. Now, if Jesus had died and stayed buried, we would have nothing to stand on. If Jesus died and stayed buried, we would have no position before God on this earth. We'd be in, we'd be in a worse position than the Green Bay Packers are. And they're in a bad position. But because Christ is risen, our hope is sure. It is certain. It is real. 
This is as opposed to the supposed hope that the world gives. The world, whatever the world promises is deceptive, it's empty, it's false. It is not able to fulfill what it says. It ha doesn't have the power, the ability, or the desire, I guess, to fulfill what it says. You know, I was reading an article the other day about Alexander the Great, and, you know, he led his troops on probably what is the greatest military conquest in history. He literally thought he could conquer the entire world. And he promised as much. But by the time they reached the Ganges River in India, his troops mutinied and said, that's it, we're not going any further. So even Alexander the Great could not pull off a complete victory. Even Alexander the Great could not instill enough hope in his troops to carry on. He was not humanly able, but God is able. We know that because God raised Christ from the dead, he's able to do anything that his word promises. He is able to see us through this pilgrimage that we're on. We know that we have our position in Christ, and we have this hope, and it's something that we can stand on for all of eternity. So we're blessed with a living hope. But next, we're also blessed with what I call spiritual inheritance. A spiritual inheritance. In verse 4, it tells us that we have an inheritance from God based on our position in Christ. The language, is, the language that is used, it, it looks back to the Old Testament. It looks back to some, some wording that, uh, of, for the Israelites. When God promised the promised land, to the Israelites, um, God refers to it as their inheritance. Them, them possessing that land would be their inheritance. So now, using that same language, Peter says, well, we Christians have an inheritance. But the difference is, it's not a physical inheritance. We are not promised a plot of land. Later, in, in 2 Peter, we learn that this new inheritance is going to be realized in a new heaven and a new earth. And so the current earth and its worldly systems, they're going to be all burned up. But we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth to go with the new life that we have. And so Peter goes on to describe this inheritance for us. He says this inheritance will never perish. It's imperishable. It's not something that can be destroyed or taken away from us. I mean, that's a lot different from the land that the Israelites had received. Because if you know your Old Testament, they were kicked out. They went into exile, and then their cities and temple were burned down. So much for that. But once we have our inheritance in Christ, it can't be taken from us. It's an inheritance that's never going to be destroyed. Peter also says that this inheritance is undefiled, meaning that it's pure. Our, our inheritance cannot be tainted by sin. I mean, right now, everything we do is tainted by sin. It's just, eh, it's tainted by sin. And... and the inheritance that we receive through Christ that is going to be ours, it, there's no traces of sin, there's no traces of darkness, no traces of sickness, all of that's going to be gone forever. I mean, everything we do now, it still gets retained. We do something, it gets dirty again, it gets tainted again. I mean, even think about, like, to use the metaphor of our houses, I mean, you know, every week you clean your house, and then the next week you got to clean your house again, well... Because it's not dirty again. I mean, every week I, I, I dust and vacuum. What do I got to do the next week? I got to dust and vacuum because it looks, it, it's like I didn't even dust and vacuum the week before. 
because dirt just keeps tainting it. But our inheritance is not like that. Our inheritance is morally pure and pristine forever and ever. And then it says that it's unfading. The word means that it, it never loses its brightness. I mean, a thousand years after we've been in our inheritance, it's going to be as, as bright and beautiful as it was from day one. Nothing, nothing on this earth lasts forever like that. I, I had gotten some old pictures from my folks, you know, after their passing, have old picture, family pictures. And, you know, they fade, they turn yellow, they get brittle and things like that. Well, our inheritance will not be like that. And it says here that our, our inheritance is kept in heaven. I mean, that word kept, it, it, it's a picture of, of security. It's like our inheritance was locked in a vault. And no one can break in and steal it from us. And nothing can, can, can reach it. It's waiting for us. So this is ours because of our position in Christ. We have an inheritance. But then lastly, we have an eternal glory. We have an eternal glory. Verse 5 tells us that we have a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is, this is hard to imagine, but we are going to share in the same glory that our risen Lord and Savior has. He is going to share his glory with us, and that's where our salvation is moving toward, because we can talk of salvation in past, present, and future terms. We were saved when we believed in Jesus. We are being saved as we go through the process of sanctification. But we will be saved when we enter into God's presence in his full glory. We're going to be changed creatures. We're going to become the creatures, the people that we are always meant to be one day. And that will not be taken from us. So these are our blessings. And they seem to be mostly future but they are truths for us right now. That's our position right now. Right now we have a living hope. Right now we have a spiritual inheritance. Right now we have eternal glory. So we can stand on these promises right now as we are going through this pilgrimage of life. Right now I have all of these things. So I will Real quick, I want to end with some thoughts of application that just kind of came to my mind while I was studying this passage. Might not be able to write these down quick enough, go watch the video later. But just some, some thoughts of application that came into, into my mind while I was studying this. First, teach these truths to your families so that they're able to stand strong in their position in Christ because of the chaotic days ahead. If you want to prepare your families for the future, get these truths into their hearts. Next, when faced with adverse circumstances, remember your position and be encouraged that what you are going through will never change your position of new life and the blessings that come with it. No matter what you're experiencing right now, this will not change one bit. Next application, God has shown himself worthy through the great blessings and promises that come with this position, and so that means that we can trust him with everything else. Because we can trust him with these wonderful blessings, we can trust him with this. Another application, start trimming away, taking away in your life all of the things that do not reinforce these truths in your life. You don't need that negativity. Get those things out. Another application, 
constantly search God's word and see how his word reinforces these great truths. Find it. I mean, it's not just found here in 1 Peter. It's found throughout Scripture. Another application. Lovingly share this great truth with others. There's other people who need to hear this for their life. And finally, let this truth lead you to worship. How does this passage begin? I mean, that's how the passage starts, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Let this lead to worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have been placed in this position to be able to successfully navigate this world as born-again Christian pilgrims. You know what? What's going to happen in the off-season for the NFL? I don't know. I don't know if the Packers are going to put themselves in a position to make themselves successful or not. I am not holding my breath. I got to mess with some people in here. At least I'm not a Falcons fan. Got a mess. I got. I got to mess with you. Neither of our teams are going to be in much of a position without some change. But you know what? Our position in Christ does not change. We don't have to worry about an off season, whether or not. Hey, am I going to be in this off season? Am I going to be able to put myself in a position of success? I am in that position if I am in Christ. If you're in Christ, if you're walking with Him through this life, you have everything you need. You are in a spiritual position of new life that, you know what, no matter the earthly circumstances that, that might come, might be around you, you have this new life. You are in a position of success. And so, Christian, come to the altar and praise God that He has given you such blessings. You are, or even if you need some more guidance on this pilgrimage that you're on, come to the altar and pray for that. But if you've never trusted in Christ, then none, nothing that I've talked about is yours. You're not in a position of new life. You're in a position of destruction. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. And so when we have our invitation, you come up and give your life to Jesus Christ. He will give you a new life. He will cause you to be born again. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.